The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and, of course, past performance does not guarantee future returns. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. I was the victim of a home invasion this morning. What? Yeah, no shit. Are you serious? Yeah. Not pigeon? No, I was attacked by a Persian cat in my oh. bathroom. <laughs> I'm, look, I'm literally injured. Oh my it God. bit the shit out of me. You nearly lost another finger. And I know. No, my hide in my. Kia, gone by lunchtime, called Toby Manhaya, Toku Ingo, Kia ora, Annabelle Lee Mather. Tēnā koe, Toby. Tēnā kōrua, tēnā tātou. And kia ora, Tia Hibata. Tēnā koe, Toby. I also want to acknowledge Scott Morrison, who uh, in May last year was appointed to host this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and has been, been doing so since, so thank you to him. Uh, we're talking 9am on Wednesday, August the 17th. Thank you to spin-off members. If you want to destroy us and don't want this podcast to continue, do not join spin-off members. What to talk about? The week before last, when we were engaged in some messaging, it felt to me like a beautiful, old-school, vintage, classic week in politics because we had this... The, the stories was lead-up to the National Party Conference and we had... Um, Cost of living payments going to florists in Switzerland and literal dead people. <laughs> and we had, we had um, Christopher Luxon castigating the Labour Party for behaving something like, like something out of the office. He said that in three different interviews. And then he promptly walked downstairs to the tiles, turned on Spotify <laughs> <laughs> and sang Lunch Money Lewis <laughs> at length. And it just felt, it felt lovely. And then... And then everything kind of got a bit bleaker, really, I guess, because there were, you know, the two people that we're going to devote most of this podcast talking about, which was, um, look, if, 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 if fortnight ago if we'd said the names Godav Sharma and Sam Uffendale, you probably would have said, who is he and whatever happened to that interesting satirical blog, The Civilian. <laughs> <laughs> hmm, sure. uh, and now they're everywhere, the headlines everywhere, they're both suspended from... Their caucuses, respectively Sam Uffendale from the National Party Caucus and Godav Sharma as of last night from Labour. Should we do – there might be some things that they have in common. I don't want to overdraw all of that. But let's start with Godav Sharma. Very quickly, for those who haven't been paying attention, last Thursday – we're speaking today on August the 17th. I maybe you already said that. You did. Um, still August the 17th. Good sign, Post. We're only, it's, it's, only been, it's only been six days since the op-ed dropped. Yeah. 
since the drop ed. And also, nice. even stranger, <clears throat> we'll come to this, but only nine days since the Ben Uffendale story dropped from Kirsty Johnson. It ben Uffendale? Feels, did I say? Yeah. What? Sam. Sam, whatever. Yeah. Uh, ben Uffendale's got a lot to answer for. Mm. Six days ago, op-ed in the New Zealand Herald. Weird op-ed. It was like reading something out of a Dan Brown novel that you had to decode. Or I, I read this in a piece that it was like walking into a movie over halfway through, and you're like, "What's going on?" And you read it. I read it again. It's like, "What's going on?" And it was some, some obviously some quite serious allegations that underpinned it, but there weren't any specific allegations in there. But it talked How do you think that came about? Do you think he would have reached out to the Herald and said, "Look, I've got." I've got some things that I want to share, or do you think it, you know, they just reached out to him do, and do said, hey, you're... as a new MP, are you interested in writing an op-ed on this? <laughs> About your experiences. Just something. <laughs> yeah, we've, 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 we've done a 10-minute interview with like, the, the new Labour list MP about, like, you know, going and, going and canvassing at the markets on Sunday. Have mm. you got anything to add? Yeah. I, I think I read... In Hamilton you know, what about a Byzantine plot of bullying? <laughs> <laughs> I read somewhere that it was unsolicited, and so no, I think it just landed in the inbox. And, you know, I mean, having um, edited comment stuff for years, you kind of see an MP's submitted op-ed land in the inbox and normally your heart sinks and you go, oh, God, what are they going to be like? I mean, British MPs are much worse than New Zealand ones, (laughs) but they'll probably have someone on the phone giving you hell about how this is the most important issue of all time and it's incredibly boring, incredibly self-serving. And normally... Deeply, deeply uninteresting. Well, th- this one was interesting, but it was also, I mean, to that point, Annabelle, the whole context was written into the Herald headline. <laughs> you know, it's weird. There was no write-off, and then and they scrambled, and then they, there was the Herald had the story, and Thomas Cochran did some great coverage of it early on. But we had to piece the bits together, and the first kind of indication of what it was really potentially about was in Trevor Mallard, who quite, um, what's the word, craftily, uh, responded by saying, I can't speak to any specificity, I can't speak to any cases, but I will say that we introduced rules, this is in general terms, to deal with people who had lost staff members and who, you know, how they would have to go through various processes before replacing them, mm. giving a very, very, very heavy wink that what we were dealing with was a staffing issue and Gaurav Sharma, the first-term MP from Hamilton West, being upset about his ability to staff his office. Mm. And then we had this kind of weird few days, right, where it was like an asymmetric warfare between the statements from the whip, Labour whip, and Prime Minister doing a stand-up or two, and at the same time, Sharma issuing these social media posts, Mm. which to some degree contradicted, to some degree convoluted, to some degree clarified the different allegations, including one incredibly long Facebook post that was at like about 7.30 on a Friday night, which is a interesting time to put something like that. It was, it was about 3,000 words long. Yeah, and that was the cl- it was numbered points, and that came the closest, I think, to actually setting out um, what, what you would call, you know, the, the kind of theory of the case, <laughs> you know, his, yep. his idea of why he had been bullied his proposed sta- statement way, of facts. His affidavit. Yeah, that, yeah. yeah that's that's mm. right. Yeah. Um, with with an, but without the particulars. Uh, so, for instance, he alleged a misuse of public funds by 
an MP and a staffer. He didn't he didn't give what you know in court in court filings would be called the particulars, saying what the misuse of fun, public funds. Not in that case. He didn't some he didn't some examples though because he said he's, he 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 said I will name my bully and the bully oh, that right. he named was Kieran McNulty, who's no longer the whip, is now a minister in cabinet, but was the was the whip at the time, and who denies allegations of bullying and harassment. And and of course some of the context of this is Kieran Kieran McNulty would have to be probably one of the most be- universally beloved MPs, right? He's he's sort of the Mister Nice Guy. He's the self deprecating Kiwi bloke with his falling down, you know, Ute mm. wandering around New Zealand. And so, you know, this, this kind of adds a bit of frisson because immediately, it, it, you know, fairly or not, makes it harder for Sharma to prove his case, you mm-hmm. know, because people, tend, you know, McNulty is a There's a lot of good within the, within, within caucus, within the Not party just within the caucus, general, but across yeah. parliament. Yeah. And across parliament and the media. One of the examples but, that and, was... And, and, but so it would be fantastic, like, if it was this kind of... It was like one of those eighties horror movies, you know, where like there's a satanically six year old child, like like the only person like McAnulty is some kind of sort of secret workplace psychopath, but oh, the see. only person he reveals it to is right. Godav Sharma. Like a <laughs> like a Scooby Doo yeah. ending where he rips the mask off. And yeah, like yeah. and at every point, you know, as soon as somebody comes into the room where like McAnulty is like psychologically torturing Sharma, you know, and then he comes in and he's like, Hi everybody and then like just acts normally, like I watched his um I watched his maiden speech last night. Oh yeah. And it's such a shame because he is so funny and smart and passionate and irreverent and you can see why he would have been chosen. He's a great communicator. Um, you know, he was talking about how he's the um, the most handsome MP to represent Hamilton West after Trevor Mallard and, you know, the <laughs> how only three <laughs> Labour MPs had won that seat uh-huh. before and what uh-huh. an honour it was. So you can see why a guy like him would be selected. It's just one of those incredibly difficult situations because when someone like Naturally, in a bullying situation, me personally, I, I tend to empathise with the person who has the the least amount of power. Mm-hmm. Um, when people, which in this case, I guess, would be the, the parliamentary, the staffers, and it's important to remember that, you know, MPs get elected, a lot of them have zero background when it comes to managing people or managing an office or, you know, and in his case, he's a he's a doctor. Um, he's never had to do any kind of HRE stuff before. But then, you know, when people cite um, mental health issues, that's really concerning. It's just a really difficult situation to navigate your way through. And I watched Ardern's stand-up yesterday and I thought, I thought they've done a pretty good job in Mm. a very difficult circumstance and I think it's good that they've left the door open to him because you can see when you look back on that maiden speech all of the reasons why it was thought he'd make a great MP. The reality is is it's highly unlikely he'll be back next election anyway. It's uh, Hamilton West is traditionally a a pretty safe national seat and he, you know, um, surfed into Parliament on the red tide. So the reality is it's unlikely he would have returned as as an electorate MP, but I think his chances of getting back as a list MP now 
will be pretty um, minimal. Let's and let's just say on that that we send our best to him. That whatever the whatever happened, it didn't happen. He's probably in a pretty isolated place right now. Yeah, and, absolutely. Um, and and, uh, and hopefully he he's he's all good. The just to summarise what. Annabelle and hopefully his staff mentioned. are all good too. Yeah, well, Annabelle was talking about the caucus meeting, the caucus meeting and press conference yesterday, and after which, it, during which it was announced by Ardern that he had been suspended from caucus. The door was left open that would be revisited in December. Basically, he was given a opportunity a way back, but the condition is very clearly don't send any more screenshots. Can I say one of the, the aggravating media. factors in this that's been really unhelpful is mm. some of the, and I won't name them, but I've seen some on Twitter, like the ex-Labour MPs who have been weighing in on it, like well, but, I mean, yeah, including, you guys including, are including on Sharma's Facebook feed. Exactly. Incredibly <laughs> strange, right. incredibly unhelpful. Yeah. To, you can imagine every time that uh, Jacinda Ardern or one of her team sees Darian Fenton pop up on social media, you know. Yeah. yeah. Look, but, but so part of the lack, you know, there's a lot of confusion here. Like you were talking about Dan Brown, the sort of, you know, it is, it is difficult to get a fix on what's happening here because essentially there's this sort of Russian doll of accusations of bullying, mm. right? So all of this started off outside of the public eye with employees of Sharma or employees of parliamentary services who worked for Sharma in his office complaining that he was a bully. Well, or complaining that he was difficult to work with or making some kind of complaint about the working relationship. The remedial steps that were taken, you know, and this was supposedly, you know, this is apparently in response to the the Debbie Francis report about bullying in parliament. Uh, The steps that were taken by parliamentary services with the party whips apparently rubbed him up the wrong way. He felt he was being sort of sidelined and bullied himself. Mm. His concerns he felt weren't being addressed, so he felt gaslighted. Um, and then, you know, and then, then of course, <laughs> then, of course, we have the, <laughs> the sort of sense that Sharma is now bullying the entire Labour Party caucus because the Prime Minister stood up and said, well, we had to have a kind of kangaroo court pre-meeting of the entire caucus without him to provide a safe space, safe space. For, <laughs> there was a very interesting for the, for the most powerful people of, uh, in the country. <laughs> and so, so the <laughs> evening before, just again for people who aren't following this closely, on Monday evening, a, not a caucus meeting, no mm. informal chat, just a meeting with everyone from the caucus, just a <laughs> download, just a download, informal was, get together of some MPs, <laughs> i.e., all of them except Godav Sharma. Yeah. Not a caucus meeting, a meeting of caucus was convened via Zoom. A fun and, and that was, as Ben says, explained be, as being because, and, and I, there's no reason not to believe that there's truth in this, that it was because people felt that because he had breached their confidence in the past by leaking materials, mm. that they needed to have that safe space in which they... The only issue with that, really, is that one might presumably have said if anyone wants to discuss anything at any time, get in touch with us and talk about it with the, you know, rather than having to have everyone in the same space. So you can understand from Gaurav Sharma's point of view that he felt as though it was a stitch up and the, 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 the caucus meeting that he was invited to attend the next day was really just a facade. And, and of yeah. course, Ardern, you know, of course, Ardern 
she's correct, you know, from a political management point of view. Of course, you're not going to have a starting from the beginning chat through of all the issues <laughs> while Sharma is there <laughs> recording everything, ready to send it to Thomas Coughlin at the Herald, right? <laughs> Obviously, you're not. So the only question was, in what manner are they going to stitch him up before this well, meeting? Yeah, right? but, but also, and, and, and part of it is to have a meeting of every a pre meeting of everyone else to say, this is what we're going to be saying. Is there anything else you'd like to add to the fucking bill of goods that we're going to present this guy with? Because you know, I do, you know that, that was the thing. I, you know, there was a, a caucus meeting scheduled for two two p.m. and then there was a stand up with Ardern scheduled for four p.m. It's like we're not going in. We're going in with a very open mind, but just bear in mind we need to be finished by four, which is when I announce he's suspended from caucus. <laughs> I mean, two 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 things on that. One is that there is some if there is some silver lining for the Labour Party, and this is that they had a. Two caucus meetings on Zoom, and none of them leaked anything. It's the easiest thing mm. in the world to record or to, to 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 grab some part of a meeting when people aren't even in the room. When you know the National Party in their bad days and the Labour Party in their bad days too, not that long ago, mm. you would get leaks literally oh. out of the caucus room through the porous walls. So that didn't happen. The only other thing which we should just briefly touch on is the circumstances by which that pre-caucus, not a caucus meeting of the caucus came to light was very thick of it because someone who's not been named in the meeting took a screenshot of Calvin Davis on the screen during the Zoom meeting and accidentally sent it to Gaurav Sharma, meaning to send Gaurav Sharma some details about the setting up of the meeting the next day, which... So, <laughs> how plausible does this sound well, to what's, us? Well, I, what, I, what is the alternative? Well, the, the that, al- they were, that they deliberately let him know, and they the, wanted it out. The, the, but, the uh, alternative if you're is like that, that. Wouldn't you leak more than just like a unco picture of of Calvin? No, it Davis? wasn't a leak. Like, it was an accident. Yeah, it was an accident. But if you were leaking, like, what does one picture of Calvin Davis tell you? It's not like well, somebody said somebody. It could literally have just been like Calvin Jacinda and Grant Robertson for all we knew. So I don't, I don't, I don't think that it was. Uh, okay, intentional. Okay. I don't think it was intentionally done. I believe you, the narrative. No, no. just in okay. terms of the sort of Dan Brown decoding okay, sort of yeah. uh, thing. <coughs> uh, one of my one of one of my friends sent me the screenshot. You know, as reproduced in media, and said, "What is up with Kelvin's nipples?" And like we were looking oh, at it, and I was like, "They're gosh. kind of like we're now in the sealed section streaks. of the podcast." <laughs> I was <laughs> like, "CSI back <laughs> into the left, back into the left," and then we like realized oh, I was just like his thumbs, like you know. <laughs> Off by the screen, <laughs> like, <laughs> um, but 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 the, so the alternative here's here's my alternative, right? And, okay, and look. We're all just speculating here. We're all just asking questions. You're going questions. to end up on fire and fury we're, coming out with yeah. conspiracy There's theories actually, like Calvin's nipples. We're well, all just ben, asking Ben's questions. Ben's nipples right at this moment are <laughs> yeah. uh, linked to several antennae around the uh, central city. Yeah. Was, was there a second Zoom link on the grassy knoll? <laughs> here, here's, here's, here's just a question that I'll put to people. Just ask what, a question. <laughs> what, if, what if one of the disgruntled MPs, one of the same ones who was complaining about the whips or about turning up to work, who had previously texted Godav, you know, and you, you don't say they're claiming to be bullied, they're just, you know, they're sympathising. Yeah, it sucks. There is no there is no worse position in, in Parliament than being a government backbench MP. You have nothing to do, you have to be on the, in the building between about 8am and 10pm on sitting You days. could be a cleaner in Parliament, There's it's probably worse having to clean up MPs' crap after them, but anyway, sorry, I digress. At, at least then you're keeping busy. Like, <laughs> being a government backbench MP is terrible. You know, half of them become alcoholics, you know, on Courtney Place, sitting 
coming out after you know ten pm. It's it's a terrible business. But so so it's not and and just worth <laughs> worth noting that and this this is a massive caucus and there yep. were twenty two new MPs in yep. the intake, which by New Zealand standards is heaps. Yeah, and there's no there's no surprise that Gaurav Sharma and probably some of his colleagues were bitching about it to each other, right? And and so my suspicion is, that, of course, there were probably some people in the caucus who were still a little bit sympathetic to him because, you know, by all accounts, he's a nice guy. He's obviously yeah. he's made a big mistake politically and in terms of his life trajectory. But mm. but they would be thinking going to Parliament was the first one. Uh, I, th- I think it was, yeah, and. Uh, you know, and so one of these sympathizers, you know, kind of sends the screenshot. Godav Sharma, who's not who we've discovered is not particularly discreet. So, you know, he he probably sends the screenshot back with the name attached to it to say like, "What's this about?" You know, Karen McAnulty. He he accidentally dobs his friend in, and then the friend, you know, and then confronted confronted by the the monstrous Labour whips, the friend is like, "Okay, I am not Spartacus. Spartacus is over there. He's in Hamilton West. <laughs> I have never. I'm not even. I have never claimed to be Spartacus." And basically, that this whole process, you know, for the last say six days, has been a process of everyone you know, kind of sort of disavowing his extreme interpretation of their sort of, you know, kind of mundane, you know, baseline level bitching about, you know, kind of boring job. Um, and, yeah, so that's, that's that's my alternative hypothesis is that people have been coming back, that Labour has been very much welcoming everyone back into the fold, uh, apart from Godov. And... <laughs> I'd, sorry, I tuned out about halfway through there. I, I, I missed the, the key bit. But I'll listen back and then I'll provide my assessment next week. The other thing that this whole episode reflects, we've talked about it before on this podcast, I think, is just the weirdness of that particular job. It is not an ordinary job. You have a bunch of different bosses and managers. They talk about what is it, the triangular setup that they have now. Mm. Um, you know, you've got parliamentary service who administer the place. You've got your caucus and the whips who represent them, you've got your local electorate, and of course you've got the voters who ultimately mm. kind of are and should be your boss in democratic system. Whips, by the way, which is in, you know reflects the reality of the kind of place you work, named after the people, I think, who used to whip the hounds into the fox hunt. You know, this is the kind of environment that they work in, sometimes necessarily, right? You need, right, what, what's you need the, discipline. What's the Greens whip called? Musterer. The musterer. Yeah, which is, <laughs> which is like, what level does, like, what about the mother? You go, hang on a minute, doesn't, that, doesn't musterer imply farming animals for human Ooh. digestion? Is that okay? Maybe they should be shepherds. No, shepherds is the same thing. Maybe they should be the crop tenders. Huggers. <laughs> <laughs> Koralas. Annabelle, weird job, weird place. Weird job, weird place. I was listening to an interview on RNZ the other day and someone was pointing out that um, that we should remember that, you know, Parliament is swarming with HR people and really well-paid MPs and all of that stuff. And so while we're discussing things like workplace bullying, we should really um, bear in mind the minimum wage workers um, who are you know don't have job stability and all of those sorts of things and yeah. the the bullying that that people get subjected to that isn't covered in the headlines. I mean it's a really difficult thing because you can't really performance manage MPs out. You can, yeah. but it's a three year cycle. It's not like dealing with um, 
managers or team leaders in your ordinary workplace. And mm. then there's all the layers of, you know, who uh, parliamentary services is responsible for employing and, you know, who's managed by the party and all of those sorts of issues. So, you know, there, there, there definitely is a culture issue at Parliament and it's long-running. Um, and, you know, this is just another example of, of how we, we say, see it play out in the media. I don't know what you do about it. It's just the weird thing of how Parliament runs. I'm, I'm going to put on my old man cranky pants right now Ooh, yeah. and say mm-hmm. I, I don't know that there is that much of a culture problem in Parliament. I mean... Is that cranky or is that kind of hippie pants? Well, I I, I just think that when we – because remember, this sparked more complaints, right? So uh, over the weekend, uh, an unnamed former former or current staffer of Anna Lorke, who's Mm. a new MP in the Hawke's Bay for Labour, complained that Anna Lorke was bullying them. And the instances of bullying that were brought up were uh, she made me move furniture for an hour in the office – and she asked me to drive her home when she'd been drinking at a function. Now, those are probably, those are definitely overstepping the bounds of the strict terms of your employment agreement. Mm. If you're, if you're either an electorate agent or an executive assistant to parliament, parliamentary services has people who can move furniture for you around offices and you can get taxi chits if you have, you know, had drinks at a function. On the other hand, I think it's, you know, without anything else, it's quite a stretch to call it bullying. You know, if, 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 you, if you have a staff member that you work with, you get enormous contact time with these people, mm. right? Obviously, you get sick of them mm. and they get sick of you because you spend a fuckload of time with each other. But the thing is, when Anna Law, if Anna Law has a few drinks at a, at a function that she's attending as an MP and her staff member is with her and the staff member hasn't been drinking, she might say, oh, can you drop me off? And she's not thinking. She's, think she's, it, she's, she's, she's not thinking. A, I need to. I need to grind you down as my inferior. She's thinking. Yeah, my best friend. <laughs> like, I like, think it depends on you. the context. So Ben, like, if that staff has gone, like, I've got to get home early tonight because my kids have got to think on it. Blah blah. And she's like, Nah, you need to stay here. And I'm not saying that's mm. what Anna said, but like, there's. There's sort of, uh, the details of these situations are important because they could literally cut either way. It could be that, you know, you've got some sulky staffer that doesn't want to give their piss boss a ride home. Or it could be that you've got someone who's got, you know, family responsibilities who's getting um, ordered by their boss to, to, you know, stand around half the night while they're on the lash. And drive them home. Abs- it's difficult to it's difficult to tell. Absolutely, and and one of the things that Ardern said yesterday in her press conference was that the facts aren't in dispute in relation mm. to God of Sharma's yeah. um, mm. allegations. Mm. And one of one of which he mentioned in one of the Facebook posts was that he was made he was called to Kieran McNulty's office. He was uh, waiting to see him, but McNulty wasn't available to the meeting for the meeting that he'd been called to. And it turned out that McNulty had been watching the America's Cup. And and you think, yeah, that's a bit of a dick move. But there is a difference that's between being a dick says. and being a bully. And I think sometimes the difference is, for example, in the Anna Lorke case, sounds like those are kind of dick moves. Those are dick moves. And the difference yeah. is if it happens six weeks in a row, then you get into a pattern, which I think then probably tips it over into a different category. Yeah. 
I mean, you would hope that after six weeks the furniture was in the right place. But I'm saying, <laughs> <laughs> you, you definitely start thinking something was up well, every time you I turned up. Was, that was this implied was that it was a punishment, right? This, that it was a hawk's face. You need to get sandwiched. Back and come in the next day. Down the office. Can you do one of those like Otago University, which we would want to get into that, which is like whether you arrive and find that all of your furniture has been covered in newspaper. It's like you need to fix that. <laughs> yeah, or as the dad of Sam Uffendale's accuser said, you know, not a stick of furniture left. We just get him up the office oh, and yeah. give it a good clean out. <laughs> that's, a, that's a segue. Sam Uffendale, let's get on to that because we um, time is running short. Uh, the Sam Uffendale was elected at the Tauranga by-election maybe 10 or 15 minutes ago. I'm not sure. It was a vacancy created by Simon Bridges. And then nine days ago... Kirsty Johnston for staff revealed that uh, a former victim of his, someone who'd been assaulted by him when this victim was 13, Uffendale was 16 at yep. the time. I, think, uh, oh, I, th- I thought it was 13 and 16, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. 13 and 16. Yep. Isn't that what I said? Anyway. Yeah, Sam, Sam Uffendale was 16. He's tall timber. It was, he would have been a big 16-year-old. Th- 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 he would have been a big 16-year-old. He's a raw bone kid. Pr- pretty Almost brutal as big as Ben Uffendale. At, the, at King's College, Auckland, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, in which uh, Uffendale uh, and, and a few other boys, but he on you know very, went in by himself and smashed this kid up when he was in bed, left him covered in bruises, some... Dispute about whether or not involved the leg of a bed. Um, Uffendale says he doesn't recall that. The victim says a, a bed leg was involved. Uffendale was then asked to leave, which is that very kind of heavy air quote uh, terminology by the school and was moved to another posh school, St Paul's in Hamilton. Um, he, uh, Uffendale, apologised to the victim 20-something years later after he returned to New Zealand from time abroad and before he put his hand up to enter politics, he declared it to the pre-selection committee, pre-selection panel? Pre-selection panel. Pre-selection panel. It didn't make its way all up, to, all the way up to Chris Luxon, nor did it make its way to the delegates who voted mm. on who would be their candidate in Tauranga. What about this one, Annabelle? What do you make of the handling of it? What does it tell us about the nature of our politics, about whether or not the National Party candidate woes have been corrected or not? I've just asked you a whole bunch of questions. Um, Well, let me start by saying that I do feel some sympathy for, for Sam and the situation that he's in, and I don't think that, you know... The, the things we do as young people should define us for the rest of our lives. But I think Sam is guilty of three things, which is A, naivety, B, a lack of um, appropriate atonement, and three, hypocrisy. Or C, was I going by numbers or letters then? Yeah, I think you were. ABC, yep. there you go. Yep. Look, um, we didn't all go to Kings. I think, <laughs> who knows? Who knows? I think... Um, I think it was somewhat naive of him to think, and for the selection panel, um, that this wouldn't come out at some point. And I don't agree with with the commentary around this that it's politically motivated. I mean, this is a, a actually the first whiff of this the, came the up during the news about, hub, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. the news hub debate when someone left a comment on the live stream saying you should ask him about his track record at Kings and why he was mm. asked to leave. Um, and then, of course, um, the wonderful Kirsty Johnston broke um, her story about it. Um, I think 
you know, it was always going to come out and the selection panel should have put a bit more protection around him. He did the right thing. He told them. It was up to them to then advise him and tell him how to best handle it. And I think mm. he's been very poorly advised by them. In terms of the atonement, um, ringing someone and saying sorry in a Māori setting wouldn't cut it. You know, kanohi ki te kanohi, mm. facing up to people's whānau and, you know, showing, you know, true um, aroha and empathy and remorse for what you've done is really important. And I feel, you know, kind of sorry that there was no tikanga around this because I feel like when those things happen, you're less likely to get into a situation where a few months later someone goes, actually, you know what, that was bullshit and, and blows the whistle on you. And in terms of hypocrisy, you know, if you read his maiden speech and what he says about gangs and violence and young people and stuff, it is so incredibly tone deaf for someone in his position. And again, I feel like that's where older, wiser heads should have stepped in and said, you know what, Sam, you should probably tone this down. Better yet, if he'd come out and said, um, when I was a young man, I was a bully and I hurt people and I have a lot of shame and guilt about that. And so, and that's become a big part of the reason why, you know, I have political ambition because I want to help young men like me who would like me to become better men to, you know, I'm, I'm proving that you can go from being a rat bag to contributing positively to society the media would have eaten that stuff up. There might have been a you know a little bit of digging around about what had happened, but I think when you really own your past like that, there's so much mana and credibility in that, and like you you, you really can tell a great story that 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 matters to people. I think ultimately, who's to blame in this situation is the selection board, and I also feel sorry for. Um, Christopher Luxon, that they didn't even advise him. I suspect that they probably thought they were giving him plausible deniability, but they really hung their leader out to dry. And I, I feel, um, I feel bad for both Sam and Thing, but more importantly, I feel aroha for his victims who feel like they haven't been given the the apologies and the the empathy that that they deserved. Take that last point, Ben. Mm. I should mention just quickly in terms of context that Luxon defended the MP originally yeah. and then subsequent allegations emerged via RNZ um, to do with a former flatmate who had felt, who, who had been in her room while he bashed on the door drunkenly yeah. was the allegation, um, trashed the flat, the dad went down the next day mm-hmm. to try and solve the situation is the allegation, which Uffendale disputes, at least yep. parts of, and uh, a QC, Maria Jew, has been appointed to conduct an investigation, which will be come within the next fortnight, and then Luxon will make a call. Just on that point of Luxon knowing, I, I mean, again, asking you to um, delve deep into your, um, into your vault of theories, do you think the staffer erred in not telling Luxon, or do you think the staffer, as Annabelle says, offered plausible deniability to a leader. And if you imagine the counterfactual, if Luxon had been told, maybe he would have dealt with it and, and I have no reason to doubt that he wouldn't have. However, if he hadn't, he would be on the line right now. As it is, he ain't. Yeah, the, I mean, the general theory of this is that staffers should insulate a leader from bad news, uh, but they should also handle it. 
Mm. You know, the, there seems to have been this sort of idea in this context, both first at the pre-selection panel, then with the staffer who knew, that sort of knowing it and parking it there in the airlock or the vault was mm. enough. Mm. No, that's, that's not the answer, right? The answer is that you meant to take this information and deal with it. Like Annabelle says, this was really easy for Uffendale to incorporate into his narrative, mm. his personal story, his personal brand. And he could have even stayed stuff on, tough on crime while he did it. He could have said, mm. I was a bit of a tear away as a teen. You know, I got, a, I got into trouble. I, my life could have gone wrong. But for the tough love and harsh discipline of private schools and Tory <laughs> philosophy. Yeah. And a great story. Well, and, and if we just get out the cane and for, these, for these sweeping money, it under these the carpet, it worked for me and it we, can work for you too. Yeah, we, we can transfer these, these gang members away from the bad influences to another private school. To St. Paul's. And they can, beca- and they can become <laughs> finance, financial middle managers overseas just like me. Right? Managers of St Paul's and Kings yeah. to run all the Borstals, <laughs> yeah. and it will be sweet. And and so, uh, well, that was actually act policy in the nineties, and the <laughs> the. I, but 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 beyond that, I actually think the really interesting thing is the apology issue, which is how MPs do handle this because everyone's got shit in their past, mm. and increasingly, as we've seen more from the Sharma affair than the Uffendale one. Mm. You know, people have a pretty low threshold now for identifying bullying and abuse mm. and severe mistreatment, right? Ghosting, gaslighting. Ga- ghosting, gaslighting, safe spaces, right? Uh, you know, I don't want to sound like the whale oil blog or something, but so it is, it, it is, it is becoming increasingly difficult because, you know, pre Me Too, which would have been about 2018, 2017, 2018, I don't even think that there would be this kind of public recognition that, you know, if you bullied someone as a kid 20 years ago, that that getting in touch with them would be anything other than, you know, a little unsettling or or at best a bit weird. You know, I, I just don't, I don't think that was part of our sort of consciousness up until quite recently. That it's a good thing that it is, isn't I, it? Well, it, I don't know it, if well, I agree it, with it that. It may or may not be. I don't know it, if it, I agree with that. I think, I think there would still be interest around this issue because kings that, because, uh, you know, I guess for a lot of New Zealanders, they see it as white privilege. Like brown kids yeah. and poor kids get kicked out of high school and then they end up in Borstal and then they end up in the justice system for the rest of their lives. And then people like Sam Uffendale try to pass legislation to like lock them up for their entire mm. lives. No, 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 for sure. But, for but sure, when but Sam when Sam made a mistake, like all kids do, he was given a second chance and quietly checked into another f- incredibly expensive school. So I think there's some um, hypocrisy there that would pique the interest of most people. No, I th- no, certainly I think the, the issue would definitely gain traction. I don't know if in the old days it would have been seen as a firing offence. Um, I actually saw a Facebook post from a former politics and tutor of mine. It's who, not. The yeah. firing offence yeah. would be misleading Christopher Luxon. It's, yeah, it's not a firing yeah, offence. Yeah. But so, it, it, but but what I mean is, like, in terms of this idea of what is the apology due to the like, how how do you how do you head this off in a in a genuine, sincere, mm. non cynical way mm. with the victims? Now, you know, here he did apologise to the victim, the, the the victim who who is who is called, you know, the 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 the, the young boy. So he's a young boy 20 years ago, right? Uh, like the, the, the victim said that he was happy with the apology and felt good afterwards. And he only felt bad when he saw Sam Uffendale on TV you know, mm. a, a year later and thought, oh, he, he was just doing that cynically yeah. to kind of cover his butt. Mm. Now, in this sort of 
you know, in the post-Me Too world. I guess, can I just say, that comes back to that old Pākehā whakatauki, justice delayed is justice denied. And if, <laughs> and if Sam had, like, Fano mm. had got him to apologise sooner, yep. then, you know, this wouldn't have happened, eh? Sure, and, and I think it's quite plausible that he only... I think it's possible to hold two ideas, which is that, one, he did feel bad about it and did want to apologise mm. now that he's 38-year-old father of daughters. Yeah. And that he didn't really think about it until he was going into politics. Mm, mm. And then he had to think about skeletons yeah, yeah. in his closet. And he totally. Was like, oh, man. Yeah, maybe oh. that guy. Yeah. I agree. You yeah. know, I, I don't think people have been putting these things as oppositional. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but I don't yeah. think they are. Yeah. Um, and, and I think there's a lot of things where, you know, you might, you might think about sort of bad things you've done in the past. And you're like, well, is it worth dredging it up? Or is it more sort of... Let sleeping dogs. Yeah. yeah. And, but, but, but people are going to have to come up with, a, you know, a way of dealing with this because, you know, it is just going to become more and more treacherous for new MPs, new candidates, mm. because, yeah. um, you know, as we see with the Anna Locke thing, you know, the, the, the bar is getting quite low for things that you can yeah. get a newspaper allegation on, right? Yeah. And, and I don't know what the way to do that is because, yeah, unless you do it sort of at the time, mm. long before any political ambitions, there is always going to be that question of authenticity. Mm. And this is a really vexed issue because I, th- I think the last thing that you would want is people who – I think the answer is probably just to be upfront about it and then you kind of take the victim and sort of exposés out of it in terms yeah. of yeah. – not that you take the victim out of it's it. Gonna like, you're going to make the election campaigns but, you know, are just going to be extended think, confessionals from yeah. now on. Yeah, yeah. I think you're right too, Ben, about, you know, actually in these situations sometimes both things are true and I think that applies to Dr Sharma's situation as well. Like I think he probably, you know – didn't do a great job of of managing his um, staff and that steps were needed um, to create a, a better workplace for them. But in, in, in executing that, possibly some people were kind of dicks to him and made him feel um, isolated and, and um, minimised and disempowered and that's led to feelings of alienation and stuff. So I don't think these things are necessarily as black and white as they seem and actually there's truth in, in um, both narratives. Absolutely. There we go again. Gone by lunchtime, crushing the dichotomies, looking for nuance <laughs> in everything. Thank you, Annabelle. Thank you, Ben. Thank you, Tiaia. Thank you to Scott Morrison. And we will be... Oh, I should say, back um, uh, after after this podcast, a special one coming up in which Ben Thomas's ex-boss, Christopher Finlayson, answers the hard questions like, why did he only give <laughs> Ben one paragraph in his book. So stay tuned for that one. Kia ora. Kia ora e te iwi. Te Ahe Butler here, podcast manager at The Spin-Off. If you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our mahi by signing up to become a Spin-Off member at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.